this story is called um, Worst Scavenger Hunt. And there have been many scavenger hunts in this city's 100-year history. Um, some of them have been amazing. Uh, a lot of them have been pretty average. A few of them have been quite bad. Uh, this is a story about the worst one. <laughs> so I don't drink. Um, and that's not because I like it too much. That's because I never learned the knack. Um, the bit where most people go from the teenage binge drinking to a kind of healthy adult moderate glass of wine with dinner kind of missed that step. Um, so I started drinking when I was 17, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I liked the way it made your head sort of flop around on its stalk. Um, and I was also interested in the fact that when you drink a bit, you get a bit of a buzz, and if you drink a bit more, you get a bit more of a buzz. And I was curious to pursue this, to see how far uh, that progression could go. Um, so there was an element of science in my drinking. It's not, it's not pretend otherwise. Um, so when I was 19, I went to a party at my friend Jack's house, and I uh, drank heavily and quickly on an empty stomach. And to the best of my recollection, I was charming and witty and erudite um, and then blank. The, uh, the, the tape stopped recording. Um, and then suddenly a flash, and all I have of that night is just one flash, but it was quite beautiful. I was walking down the Gungalan Drive extension in the dark, which was at that time just a single strip road in the middle of nowhere. There were no street lights, and the sky was full of stars. And I was walking down the middle of the road singing. And I remember headlights kind of swelling up behind me and the road getting lighter and lighter and lighter. And I kept singing. And then tape stops recording again. And the next thing I knew, it was sunlight, it was morning, I was in a bus shelter, I was in a bus shelter at the AIS, and when I looked in my backpack, some things had been taken. Now, if you knew me very well, you would know that there's only a few things in my bag that I really, really need. Um, diary, journal, theatre key, driver's licence, and they're all scattered in very specific places throughout my backpack. And those things, and only those things, had been taken. And in their place was a note. And that note, when I uncrumpled it, had uh, some scrawled words on it in what was unmistakably my handwriting <laughs> that said, what you gonna do now, fucker? So, I called, I called Jack, and he confirmed that the previous night I had indeed taken things out of my bag and run around and refused to tell anyone where I was putting them. Um, the only thing he could tell me that was useful was that at some point in the night I had called my mum. So, I got in contact with my mother, and yes, it confirmed that I had phoned her at 2 a.m., um, yelled at her to get out of bed, um, get a pen and paper, and then I had dictated to her down the phone a list of six things that were the clues to where I had hidden all my stuff. And so embarked on the worst scavenger hunt. Um, now, at times throughout the week that followed, 
I tried to imagine I was like Ed Norton in Fight Club when he discovers that his best friend is actually his uh, diabolical alter ego and he has to outwit himself in order to stop his own plans for world domination. But uh, where Ed Norton's adversary was a charismatic anarchist played by Brad Pitt, mine was a drunk, malevolent teen with a Tolkien fetish. (laughs) So one of the clues was simply the words, 15 birds. And I knew, being a Tolkien geek, that this was a reference to a scene in The Hobbit where Bilbo and his gaggle of dwarves were at the top of a tree and the goblins underneath the tree were singing 15 birds in five fir trees. And I also knew that a couple of years earlier I'd made the observation that some of the trees on Capitol Hill, just above Civic, looked a bit like how I imagined that scene. And so sure enough, when I went to Capitol Hill, I found my driver's license under the tallest tree, buried a foot down. (laughs) So the clues were extraordinarily cryptic, but I kind of had a cheat sheet in that I was the one who'd made them up. It was kind of not quite like a diabolic game of cat and mouse with a criminal mastermind. The other thing in my favor was that I knew that the objects could only be placed in a radius no further than what a drunk teenager could place them in, could travel while he was unable to walk in a straight line. So I had tried to trick myself by giving myself the clue referencing a dead cat. Now I had... I knew that that was meant to make me think of a street in Girilang where my first cat had been killed by a car, but there was no way I could have traveled to Girilang. And so I surmised correctly that what in fact it was referring to was a part of London circuit where a few weeks earlier I had seen a cat that reminded me of my first cat. And (laughs) sure enough, when I got there, there were my theater keys stuffed under a dumpster. Um... So, after about a week of untangling this insane dream logic, which felt a lot like trying to remember the password you set for your PayPal account that you haven't opened in 18 months, (laughs) I think it was at the point where I had to retrieve my journal, which I had stuffed under the door of a law office on Northbourne Avenue, knowing that I couldn't retrieve it until business hours, when I was begging it back off the extremely unimpressed receptionist I came to the conclusion that alcohol was probably not my drug. And so I stopped drinking and have not restarted. And now, I'm not envious of the 90% of the population that can have a drink without getting addicted or having massively adverse side effects. But when I see people have a beer at a barbecue or a couple of drinks at a pub or a glass of wine at a restaurant, I think I really admire that. I admire that ability because it seems so nice.